0: all right well welcome to dirt bike church my name is chuck master with team faith always a pleasure to be here with you guys and uh, what a beautiful beautiful place to do this thing at uh you know I, I, I say this every year that we're here but i grew up just over the mountain here and uh not too far away from here in a little place called richburg new york and and it's nice to be home um unfortunately just because i grew up in here it doesn't mean that i can ride this stuff the way that some of these guys do but uh, it's, it's, it's great to be here Lord, thanks a lot for today Just thanks for using me as your minister And, and a, message, a messenger of your gospel uh, I just pray that you will anoint me right now That I'll have the right words to say That, uh, that I'll convey the message that you've put on my heart And that I'll do so in a way that will draw people to Jesus That is my ultimate heart So just open the eyes of our heart And uh, bless this time together in Jesus' name, Amen Alright, well, uh, a little bit about me I've been, this is my 10th year doing GNCC Church, and uh, I've been able to be on this series since 2009. In 2010, I went full-time with the ministry of Team Faith. At the, in 2009, uh, I was actually working for Yamaha. I was a district manager in Tennessee, and I'd cover dealers in Tennessee and Kentucky. And In 2010, some, uh, some job changes came along, and I was able to go full-time in the ministry with Team Faith. So not just do GNCC, but I was able to go out and do, uh, do some arena cross races, be the mechanic on arena cross. But the first job that I did, the first task that I had when I was, went full-time with Team Faith was to go to X Games out in Los Angeles in 2010. And so uh, I team drove the rig. We've got this big Kenworth rig, and I drove that all the way across the country, get out to X Games in L.A. It was one of the coolest, it'll probably be one of the coolest memories that I have for the rest of my life, being able to do that. That was really, really cool. But while we were there, like we do anywhere that we go, whether it's GNCC or Arena Cross or wherever we are, we always wanted to bring the church to the racetrack. And so at X Games, we had uh, chapel services every night for whatever athlete, you know, whatever athlete wanted to come and hang out with us was welcome to come. Of course, it was only the moto people. We just don't seem to have that connection with uh, with BMX and skateboard and so forth because we know moto. And so, you know, there were some uh, freestyle guys that would come. A lot of the metal militia guys actually would come hang out with us a little bit. We had that common ground of freestyle motocross. And our rider at the time was Kevin Johnson, who was our arena cross guy, but he was also there to defend his his gold medal that he won in speed and style back in 2008. So we're having chapel one night, and our guy, Larry Dean, we call him our road pastor. He goes on the road with us, and he ministers to us inside the vehicle. But also, when we're out here... uh, Having church, dirt bike church or whatever you call it, Larry will often be the one that brings, brings the word. And I remember this specifically, that we were sitting out there in LA, and Larry made the comment. He said, we don't know who's going to still be here 10 years from now. And he was talking about faithfulness to the Lord and perseverance and continuing on. And he made the point that, man, we don't know who's going to be here in 10 years. Well, out of Team Faith, there was myself, there was Brian O., the guy that started Team Faith. There was Larry, our writer, Kevin Johnson. And we had one other writer there that was writing uh, one of the different disciplines in moto. And uh, I look around and I say, you know, Larry's right. I don't know. Man, I sure hope and I sure pray that I'll be here in ten years. Well, here we are, eight years down the road from that moment. <clears throat> I'm still here. Larry's still here. Brian's still here. Kevin Johnson's still a big part of the ministry, still serving God. But our second rider. He fell away. And he's off and running. He's kind of doing his own thing. He's living a a wild life that you would never recognize as he was, wow, he was at X Games with Team Faith back in 2010. You would never guess that now. And so my heart's desire always is to reach people who are far from God. And that's what we do with Team Faith is we bring the church to the racetrack because we want to show, partly we want to show that real Christians live real life. You know, it's not just a bunch of church nerds hanging out here underneath the tent. I mean, we've got some people that know how to ride dirt bikes and we know how to crash. And Oh, was I choking up? Yeah. <laughs> it was obvious. <laughs> Thank you. But real Christians know how to live life, and that's what we're out right here doing. We're racing dirt bikes and four-wheelers and UTVs, and we're living life to the fullest. But who's going to be here in ten years? How's your heart doing? It's kind of where I want to go tonight, and so I, re- I remember it wasn't very long after that uh, that X Games experience. I was sitting in church. I was I was able to make it to church on a Sunday morning, and I was sitting there before the service started, and I had my Bible in my lap, just kind of just kind of thinking and praying before church, and and it hit me that the reason, you know, the purpose that God has, has given me for my life is to use my life experiences as an open book. To inspire and encourage other peoples to go all in for Jesus Christ. And so that's what my mission, that's what my whole purpose in life has been all about. Is to encourage people that, man, this, this is life right here. Take hold of it. Take Jesus, take him firmly in your heart, and go all in. And so, I know that for a lot of us, you know, certainly over the years, we've met those people who have fallen away, and, and we say all oh, those hypocrites. And I can think back over the years of all the all the Christian leaders that have had a position of leadership, and then you hear about they had an affair, or they had tax evasion, and end up in prison, or they had whatever. And and you can count me in that. You know, I was I was I've been a Christian since I was about twelve years old. And there came a time where I was off and running wild also. So where am I going to be in 10 years? I hope I'm still right here. I pray that I am still right here. But that's that's what we're going to look at tonight. We don't know the, the future. How do you go from being, I am sold out for Jesus, to becoming that person like, ah, uh, yeah, whatever. How do you avoid that? One thing that's going to be on my gravestone, and I hope it's not anytime soon, but probably will be carved on my gravestone, is on purpose for a purpose, because I say it all the time, that God created you uniquely and specifically on purpose because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so as we have that in the back of our head, we can start to dig in that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. You might not know exactly what your purpose is. Maybe it's not to be having Dirt Bike Church on the world's greatest off-road series ever. Maybe that's not your purpose. Fortunately, that is my purpose. I know that is exactly what God called me to do. So I get to be here and do that. But if you don't know exactly, man, why did God create me? I can give you a little hint. Paul gives us a little hint. Paul the Apostle, he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia back in the first century. And in Galatians 5.22, he says this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> the result of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, and how do we get the Holy Spirit? Is through Jesus. Jesus said, When I leave, I will send you the Comforter, the Spirit of truth. He will be in you, the Holy Spirit. So he, Paul starts out, he says, The fruit of the Spirit, the result of having Jesus Christ as your Savior and having the Spirit in your life, the result of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such, there is no law. Like these things aren't against the law. Matter of fact, these are the things. That we all want. We all want love and joy and peace in our lives. But when we take control of life and we live for ourselves, you know what we get? Well, Paul says, I don't even have to tell you what you get. It's self-evident what you get, but I'll give you a quick list. He says what you get is immorality, impurity, sensuality, strife, jealousy, anger, drunkenness. It comes from that that me-first attitude. I'm going to do what I want to do because this is what I want to do and this will make me happy. I hope. I think at least that's my plan I'm going to be happy by doing it my way and what do we end up with we don't end up with love and joy and peace and all the things that we're actually after and so none of us none of us that have claimed Jesus Christ as our Lord none of us would ever willingly turn our back on those gifts that God gives us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness we would never just walk away from that on purpose and yet we do and yet, I'm even in peril, even today, of walking away from that. That's why this message, as I was going through, as I was going through and praying about, well, Lord, what should I be speaking on this week? And I came across this passage, and it hit me. Just hit me that, man, that could be you. You remember what Larry said back at X Games. So, without further ado, let me dig into it. If you're, if you're following along, I'm going to go to the Old Testament, to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And if you've been around church culture at all, you say, Chronicles? First and second Isn't that the? aren't those the boring books in the Old Testament that talk about so-and-so begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so? Yeah, it's, it's all of that boring stuff and more. You get to find out all about the temple that Solomon built. But you also get to find out about the history of Israel because it gets into some interesting stuff about some of the kings that ruled Israel and Judah. Matter of fact, you have to have context for every time you pick this up. Every time you pick this up, this is the story of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We get all that. We go through the flood. And then God says, you know what? None of this has really worked out. I'm going to reveal myself to the whole world. And you've heard this if you've been at Dirt Bike Church too. You've heard this about the Abrahamic Covenant. God comes to a guy named Abraham. He says, I'm going to do something through you, Abraham. I'm going to reveal myself to the whole world. And through you, you're going to have a nation, many descendants of people. You're going to have your own land. Through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. And we're blessed today because Jesus was from the line of Abraham. And Jesus was also God's own son who, who died for our sin, buried, resurrected again. And now the whole world has hope through Jesus. And so the story of God, as it's written through the, through the ages and through the pages, is all through here. And so as we open up 2 Chronicles chapter 14, it goes like this. It says, Abijah slept with his father, meaning that he died. Abijah, he died, okay? That's the way that it says. Matter of fact, Abijah was the great-grandson of King David. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about David, David and Goliath, and then we talked about David, how he was, he was running, and he went running run to Gath, but then he came, kind of got his act together, and he became the greatest king that Israel has ever had. Well, after David came, his son Solomon, and during Solomon's reign, there was 40 years of peace and prosperity. 40 years of real good times for Israel after Solomon. Solomon, though, he's an interesting guy. If you ever get a chance to study him, he wrote the book of Proverbs. And then he says, my son, at all costs, pursue wisdom. And then later in Solomon's life, he forgot all about that, and he started pursuing his own interest. Well, his son, Rehoboam, didn't take his father's advice to heart. Rehoboam, when he took the throne, he says, man, you all think that my dad taxed you really bad? Wait till you see what I got. And he doubled their taxes, and all of a sudden, there was a civil war, and there was a split. And the ten northern tribes became known as Israel, and the two southern tribes, because there were twelve tribes total, the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin became known as the nation of Judah. And so as Rehoboam had the opportunity for this whole country, his stupidity and his pride split it. And now all he was left with was the southern kingdom. After Rehoboam died, his son Abijah became king, and Abijah was a pretty good king. But there was a lot of war and a lot of strife. Abijah died. It says he slept with his fathers. After that, Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars. He cut down the ashram poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers. In other words, he led the nation into the ways of the Lord, into righteousness. And it was good. Verse 6 says, He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. It's interesting that as you seek God, the author of peace gives you peace as you seek Him. And what is it that we're after? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so as Abijah led the country and he's pursuing God and he's seeking God, there's peace in the land for 10 years. Asa said to Judah, he said, Let's build cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us peace on every side. It's interesting, he says the land is still ours. You see, it had been a tough time for the nation of Judah. It had been a tough time ever since that split. There had been wars with Egypt and there had been still continued civil wars with Israel. But here they've had ten years of peace... And, and, and Asa says, the land's still ours, but there's a job to do. Let's take advantage of this time of peace. Let's fortify our cities. Let's build things up. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. And to the best of our ability, to the best of the resources that God has given us, let's make the most of them. I know all about that. Your resources might be limited, but let's make the most of them during this time that we have, during the opportunity that we have right now. And so they built and they prospered. He had an army, 3,000 men from Judah and 2,800 from the tribe of Benjamin. He was prepared as best as he knew how to the limits of the resources God had given him. He had done a great job. And then, the largest invading force ever recorded in Bible history comes up against him. Zerah from Ethiopia comes up against little old Judah, who has an army of about a half a million people, comes against him with an invading army of a million soldiers. That's a two-to-one odds. Has anybody has anybody here, I just came across this movie recently, it's called uh, 12 Strong. Anybody heard of it? Man, I recommend, I, don't, I, can't, I cannot vouch for the language. It's probably rated R, but uh, it's, about, it's about right after 9-11. The towers came down. It was a, a, a top-secret mission. This has just recently been declassified, but special forces troops were, were mobilized out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is just up the road from where I live. So some Green Berets were sent over to Afghanistan to go and uh, take care of business with, with Al-Qaeda. And I'd never heard about this before. It was 12 men, hand-selected 12 men. And as they're getting their briefing, they said, well, how many men are we going up against? And they said, well, uh, in this area that you guys are going into, there's about, there's about half a million Al-Qaeda and Taliban in this area. And so in the movie, one of the, uh, one of the Green Berets says, huh, 50,000 to one. You know what we call that? A target-rich environment. <laughs> and it's an amazing story. It actually doesn't have much to do with our message tonight. But I'm just thinking about this. As, as Zera the Ethiopian, comes in with a million people up against, he outnumbers Judah two to one. I'm like, well, target-rich environment, right? But that's not how Asa confronted it. Asa, to his credit, Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O oh Lord, there is none like you to help. Help us, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O oh, Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. Great prayer. It's a great prayer that, hey, this is something that's out of my control. You've heard that God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's that's actually false. God will absolutely allow things in your life that are more than you can handle. He'll allow Zerah the Ethiopian to come against you with a million-strong army. Because who's God of all? God, Yahweh. The God of Israel. The God of Judah here. And so so Asa calls out, and we aren't told how. But we are told that God answered. The Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. You see, Judah had a great victory that day. As a matter of fact, along with that victory, not only did they demolish the troops of Ethiopia, the million troops of Ethiopia, but they got all the spoils of war. They got livestock and sheep and camels Says that uh, the, the the king, the Ethiopian king, had 300 chariots, and now all of a sudden they got chariots too. Spoils of war, they're able to bring back over to the back into their land of Judah. And it's a huge victory. It's a mighty victory. They gave, they called on God. Asa called on God, and God answered, and God delivered, and then something very unexpected happens. We roll over to chapter 15. And verse 1, as they're coming back from this huge, huge victory, says that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa. In other words, Azariah is a prophet. And God comes to his prophet Azariah. He says, go out and give Asa a warning. What's a warning all about? Man, this guy, he's living into what God, the purpose that God gave him. He's leading the nation in righteousness. He's doing a great job. He goes out. He has this huge, huge monumental victory. And then God sends a prophet, Azariah, to give him a warning. What is that all about? If you talk to any pastor or evangelist or missionary or anybody that speaks publicly on Sunday morning, like at a church, if you'll ask any pastor what the worst day of the week is, what's the most when is it that you struggle with temptation the most? Their answer will be Monday. It's always Monday. It's after that peak. It's after that mountaintop experience. It's after, it's after the victory of the battle that we let our guard down and all of a sudden, temptation comes rushing in. And all of a sudden, with our guard down, it's like sometimes, sometimes our Christian leaders, myself included, get blindsided on Monday. It's always after, it's always after the strong Sunday that the temptation comes. So if you're praying for your pastor, and I hope that you are, pray for him on Sunday, but pray for him on Monday also. So here's here's the warning. Azariah comes to Asa and he says, The Lord is with you while you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. You know, it's interesting. Anyone who ever seeks God, God always finds them. Anyone who seeks God, God always finds them. But if you don't seek God, you never get found. So Azariah makes a point of that. If you seek God, He will find you. The Lord is with you. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. If you forsake Him, He will forsake you. And then he goes on and he says, Remember your ancestors? How your ancestors were always wishy-washy. They were up one day and they were down the next day. They were living for God and then they weren't living for God. And then when, when trouble came upon them, they would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would answer them. In those times, there was no peace. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Interesting. There's no peace. When you're not pursuing God, there's no peace. Then he says, Don't let your hands be weak. Your work will be rewarded. In other words, keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. Keep doing the task that God assigned to you. Keep living into your purpose. Asa, you've done a great job here. If you keep seeking God, He will keep finding you. Keep doing the task that God gave you. Remember to keep him first. Asa heard these words, and he took courage. You know, after what were they doing before the war? They were building, they were fortifying, they were using their resources to the best of their ability. What happened after the war? Their resources grew exponentially. They had a lot more to work with. And then a warning comes. Always keep God first. Keep pursuing God. So Asa heard these words. He took courage. He continued his work. And verses 9 and 10 say that by the 15th year of his reign, people were actually moving from the northern kingdom of Israel. They're moving down to Judah. And there's basically this huge revival going on in the land. It's like Asa, man, he's got it. He's living into God's purpose for his life. He's putting God first. He's seeking God. Everything's going great. And then, unfortunately, the scripture goes silent. The next thing that we read about him, as verse 19, it says, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So in that one verse, all of a sudden, we skip 20 years. We go from year 15 all the way up to year 30, 35. In the 36th year, Basha, king of Israel, the northern tribe, king of Israel, went up against Judah. And so Basha the king comes over into Judah, and he builds the city of Ramah, about five miles from Jerusalem. He builds this city, and he fortifies it, and he cuts off the trade route that runs between Judah and Israel. And Basha is getting ready to wage war against Asa. So there's going to be another civil war. Basha is coming after him. And Asa, the hero of our story, who last time when he was facing a million men... He fell on his face before God and said, God, this is a situation that I cannot handle. Asa, this time, after 20 years of peace and prosperity, after the prophet Azariah warned him, this time, when adversity comes along, Asa says, I got it. I can handle this. And he goes into the temple of God that his great-grandfather Solomon had built. He goes into the temple. He takes all the silver, all the gold, puts it in a big old cart, and he sends it off to Syria. He sends it to the king of Syria, and he tells the king of Syria, he says, hey, look, I know that you have a peace treaty with Israel, and you have one with me also, but look, I'm paying you a whole bunch of gold here. Break your treaty with Israel and fight on my behalf. And so the king of Syria says, hey, I'll take that. So Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, goes and attacks cities within Israel, and Bashar has to withdraw from from Ramah. (laughs) You like how it all rhyme and reason there. And has to go back up into Israel. And therefore Judah is saved. And Asa thinks that he's done a great thing. Unfortunately for him, God sends Hanani, the seer, a prophet. Sends another prophet to Asa. Asa And the seer, the prophet, says, This is what God says, Asa. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. (laughs) Wait a second, what? The army of Syria has escaped you? I thought that it was Israel that was coming down. God has a plan and He has a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. God had a plan to take care of Syria. But Asa didn't have any part of it. Asa didn't get to live into that plan because He did it His way. Hannah and I continues. He says, don't you remember 25 years ago when the Ethiopians came against you and what God did on your behalf there? You relied on the Lord and He gave you victory. And then comes this very, very famous verse. I actually referred to it a couple weeks ago. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless to Him. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. In other words, Asa... God's here to give support to you. If you're living into His purpose, what is He going to give strong support to? To the purpose for which He's created you. And He's been looking all over for people that are willing to step into His plan for their lives. And as this situation arose, God had a plan. He had a purpose for you, Asa. And as He he looks the whole earth, your name never came up. Because you said you'd do it your way. And now you've lost this huge opportunity. Not only have you lost this opportunity, but now you're going to be at war all the rest of the days of your life. The next verse says, Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in the prison. (laughs) What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those good things, the things that we want. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is something that Asa used to have. What's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? It's those things that that we get as a result of our own doing. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, strife, jealousy, anger. (laughs) What did Asa do? He got angry. And he throws the prophet in prison. And it says that Asa inflicted cruelties on some of the people at that time. Man, to go from here to being God is God being down here like, yeah, whatever. And then having to live with the consequences of your own actions and being angry and bitter. None of us want to go from here to there. And yet it happens. Do you remember David? We, we touched briefly on it. David David was a great king. He had some personal failings. His uh, his le- his legacy is always tainted by that affair that he had with Bathsheba. And uh, so it's written in, in the record books that David was a great king, except for that incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. David, later on, after he'd had that uh, affair with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a little story. He says, David, there's, there's this rich guy out there that had a bunch of sheep, had a whole bunch of livestock, and the neighbor had one little old sheep. The rich man had some people over for dinner one night and decided he wanted to have sheep for dinner, but he didn't want to kill any of his own sheep. So he sent his servants over to the poor man's house and took their sheep and butchered that sheep and served it to his guest. And David at that time said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan the prophet looks at David and says, you are that man. Now just to be clear, David didn't actually steal somebody's sheep. (laughs) The, The prophet is saying that you're that man because you stole somebody's wife. David, what makes him a man after God's own heart is because in that moment, David didn't get angry and throw the prophet in prison and put him in stocks. David said, I am that man. And David repented and he turned. What we're seeing with Asa here is that even when he's confronted with his sin, even when he's confronted with his hard-heartedness, he will not relinquish. He will not say, I am that man. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in feet in his feet and his disease became very severe yet even in his disease he did not seek the lord but sought help from physicians don't take this verse out of context i've heard people say that oh you should never go see a doctor if you have faith don't go see a doctor that's not what this verse is saying okay put it in context back in the day back you know 3000 years ago when this story was taking place a physician or a doctor was a mystic for the large part they were mystics they were uh, satan worshipers they were you know witchcraft doctors and so Ace is putting his confidence in them. But even if it was a legitimate doctor, what as a Christian, what's the first thing we should be doing? It's the first thing most of us do, as we pray. We pray out to God, God help me in this situation. There's nothing wrong with going to see a doctor, but there is something severely wrong with Ace's heart right now. He did not seek the Lord. And that's kind of the point of this whole message. Is where is your heart? There's another, there's another saying that gets uh, circulated around all over the internet and through Christian circles, and, and that is, follow your heart. <laughs> that is absolutely terrible, disastrous advice. Don't ever follow your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful. It will trick you. The, if, if you've given somebody that advice, follow your heart, it's okay. Now you know better. Don't ever give that advice. Solomon says that the, the Lord turns the king's heart whichever what direction he wants to go. I remember in 2006 when I was living deep in sin. I was, I was that hypocrite who had claimed the name of Jesus Christ but I had turned my back. I was Asa at this time in my life. I was out there doing my own thing. I was reaping the benefits of my, my me first attitude. I was reaping the, uh, the fruits of jealousy and bitterness and anger and all those things. And I happened to think one day that, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If you remember the story of the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt, uh, God sent Moses to, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I thought, oh, man, what if God hardens my heart? There will be absolutely no hope for me whatsoever. Because there was no hope for Pharaoh. And I started to say a prayer that day. I didn't really want to talk to God in that moment. But I did say, God, if you want anything out of my life, you're going to have to change my heart. My heart is very hard right now, and I'm angry. I'm angry at you. I'm angry at pretty much everybody. But if you want anything out of me, you have to change my heart. Every once in a while, from that day forward, I would pray, when I could, I would just say, change my heart. (laughs) I'm thinking the whole time that, God, if you want me to be a church nerd... Go to church three times on Sunday morning And once on Wednesday, maybe on Thursday If you want me to be that kind of person You're going to have to change my heart Almost like a challenge to God You'll have to change my heart <laughs> I had no idea that this is what he wanted for me This is awesome But I said God changed my heart And finally one day it did It did happen And I broke my whole heart Broke and I cried, I cried out to God it was funny because the third day song Came on the radio, cry out to Jesus And it just touched my heart Pfft, Man the waterworks blew Greatest moment of my life, probably. But how's your heart? You know, how do we get to that point? What happened to Asa in those 20 years? We'd like to know exactly what happened to Asa in those 20 years. But I think we get a snapshot of that because at the end of his life, even when he had a disease in his feet, he refused to cry out to God. He refused to acknowledge God. He refused to pray. I don't know where everybody's at. We're all at different places in our life right now. With a group this size, we've got some people that are on the mountaintop like, Man, you have I've seen God. I've seen His work in my life. This is awesome. Well, today's a good warning for you. Hold on to that because dark days are coming. A lot of us might be in a dark day right now. Like, man, I remember that mountaintop experience. I remember when God touched my heart. I remember when I accepted Jesus as my Savior and that peace just came rushing into my life. But now... I haven't been praying. I haven't really been seeking God. God hasn't really come through for me in the way that I thought that He would come through for me. And I'm kind of upset. I'm kind of mad. We've got other people that are are where I'm at. It's like, man, I've been on the mountaintop. I've been down here. I don't want to go back down here. But I'm just kind of cruising along in life. And I'm not really paying attention. Just kind of doing what you tell me to do or what I think you tell me to do. But I don't really hear your voice. Not really paying attention. And that's where that prophet comes in. And he says wherever he went he, he says that uh, when, you, when you seek God he'll be found when you put him first the Lord is with you while you are with him if you seek him he will be found by you if you forsake him he will forsake you and so that's the wake up call for me today is where's your heart well it needs to be a matter of constant prayer it needs to be okay God I'm all focused on you I don't want to go the way that Asa went I think that this story of Asa is a uni- not a unique one, but it's one that's put there for a very unique purpose. It's to remind us that God is still God. Even when we don't see Him, God is still God. And He has a plan, and He has a purpose. You don't want to miss out on it, because there are good things ahead. Hebrews 11.6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. I'm going to close with that. How's your heart? Lord, thanks a lot for today. Just thank you for the word that you've given us. Thank you for your word that's been preserved through the ages. That uh, we can go back and we say, Wow, God, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And what was put down uh, thousands of years ago is still relevant for us today. And we want to seek you with all of our heart. We want you to be our God. We encourage you and we invite you to be a part of our life and show us where we have hard hearted tendencies right now that are going to destroy us. Certainly the enemy wants to draw us, to bring us down. But we desire you first and foremost, Lord. So would you just break through our hard hearts and uh, be our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with me tonight. If you need anything, I'll be here. And otherwise, have a great race tomorrow, and I'll see you on the track somewhere.